You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. New from Moultrie Mobile, the Feed Hub offers first-of-its-kind cellular connection and control for nearly any spin-cast feeder on the market. When used with the Moultrie Mobile app, you can monitor feed and battery levels, run feeders on demand, receive alerts when feeders are clogged, and remotely adjust feeding times. The Feed Hub is ideal for anyone who maintains feeders. Remove the guesswork and save time by planning feeder maintenance before you drive to your hunting property. For more information, visit MoultrieMobile.com. Welcome to the Antler Up podcast brought to you by Tethered, the world's best saddle hunting gear, and we got a great show for you all today. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to this week's episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We're on episode 214, and I'm joined by Clint Campbell, host of Truth From The Stand podcast, and Clint shares his insights on discipline, habits, and personal development. Clint shares and discusses his daily routine, the importance of being present, and the impact of mental toughness. Clint emphasizes the need to give oneself grace and overcome setbacks. He also highlights the significance of prioritizing what truly matters and examining one's faults. In this conversation, we really discuss the importance of being present for our children and the impact it can have on their lives. We also talk about the evolution of hunting and the importance of adapting and evolving as a hunter. Really, Clint shares his experience of connecting with the hunt and the satisfaction of being a participant rather than just being an observer. We discuss the importance of finding your why and staying committed to your goals. Clint also recaps his hunting season in a really quick, brief cliff notes version and it kind of matches because that's kind of how his season was but really awesome stuff and he's shared a little bit about what he's looking forward to this upcoming year but really want to just say thanks to clint for coming on really enjoyed this conversation it goes way beyond the hunting it's just about discipline creating good habits and how that in return makes you a better person and because of that really helps you out in the woods so really want to just say thanks again everybody for all of your support if you like what you hear make sure you go and leave that five-star review over on itunes spotify and again if you're interested in watching this played in in the background while you're maybe fletching some arrows working out or whatever definitely check it out on our youtube channel it's over on antler up outdoors just you know search that in the search bar on youtube make sure you're subscribing to that and once things slowed down just a little bit for me with the baby and everything like that, getting things situated, plan on getting some more videos uploaded. Uh, just some of the gear that I use that I really liked this past year. And, you know, with that, one of those pieces of gear that I really liked was the tethered ultra lock saddle. And if you have the chance to head out to any of the mobile shows, I know the Iowa Classic, Deer Classic will be coming out soon or will be. So if you are going to be in that neck of the woods and you see the tether booth, go sit in one, check it out. Also, that Ultra Lock SD saddle is pretty sweet. It's basically everything but stripped down from that version. So if that's something that you already have pouches or anything along those lines, all you got to do is just put them in those molly loops and you're good to go. So make sure you check that out over on tethernation.com. And just want to say thanks again for all your support. Enjoy this episode. Antler up. Tether is a team of saddle hunting fanatics with a passionate addiction to whitetail hunting. Designing and engineering products to be a more efficient and confident hunter, Tether produces the most mobile, stealthy, and safest elevated hunting gear on the planet. Built by saddle hunters for the saddle hunter. 
head over to tethernation.com to see for yourself what exactly I'm talking about. America's Best Bowstrings is dedicated to crafting the finest custom bowstrings using top-notch BCY fibers and their exclusive building process. Here's why ABB stands out. Unmatched quality, known for exceptional durability and performance, experience no peep rotation, no creep, and no serving separation. Tailored for any bow. Performance guaranteed. Trust ABB to deliver a bowstring that not only meets but exceeds your expectations. New for 2024 is the Launch Series, designed for the most demanding bow hunters and archers, setting a new standard in durability and performance. Here's what sets Launch apart. Fully pre-stretched strings for total stability, ensuring industry-leading performance every time you draw your bow. Exclusive 452 XE fiber crafted with exclusive fiber launched bowstrings provide unparalleled strength and resilience, making them the go-to choice for serious archers. Two-year warranty, free shipping on orders over $199. Order your set today over at AmericasBestBowStrings.com and use code AU10 to save $10 off your order. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the show, everyone. I'm joined by Truth From The Stand podcast host. I got Clint Campbell. Clint, dude, it's finally such an honor to finally have you on man you've been like you're i consider you one of the ogs in this hunting podcast uh world that we all live in and consume and listen to man so another fellow pa guy dude we have such cool acquaintances of who we're friends with mutual friends with and it's taken me four years of the antler up podcast to finally have you on man so dude appreciate your time Dude, I appreciate you having me on, man. And uh, yeah, dude, our our paths have been crossing for forever. It's funny whenever <laughs> I get the uh, get the OG statement because I'm like, yeah, I'm looking at my beard as yeah. we're talking. I'm like, yeah, I got the grays to show it now. Finally, <laughs> yeah, same here, man. I, I know it's it's funny when I look back at some old like either reel or or video or something like that. I'm like, man, my beard was a little bit darker back then, just a little yeah. bit darker. Now it not not so much. And uh, yeah. with the baby that I that we my we my wife just had uh new year's eve that was uh it's probably going to contribute to to more, more oh. gray hairs yeah it's funny the gray hairs come you know your uh sleep deprivation comes early your gray hairs come when they become teenagers i can attest to that <laughs> <laughs> oh man i know dude well clint here's what i want to get into brother uh you had a heck of a season i we will talk mm -hmm. just briefly on some of that stuff but mm -hmm. here's the out like as an outsider dude like as I'm looking into like what Clint Campbell gets into, man, like you, you wear a, a ton of hats and that's like, yeah. there's uh, anybody doing what we do as far as this creation of content and talking to people con like podcasts, it's a lot of work. It's if you want, mm -hmm. if you want to get something out of it, right? Like, and I don't yeah. mean lucrative, I'm talking just good value and, and all yeah. that type of stuff. Like you've really got to put in some time. So with you, like how long have you been doing a podcast? Uh, it'll be, I think the start of year number eight in yeah. June, I think if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So like with you doing that, being a dad, right, you're, you're busy doing all that stuff. You have the full-time job, you got the podcast and you have other personal interests that you've been going hard at the last like two years. I would probably mm -hmm. say that I've seen it. Uh, yeah. it could even be more than that. I'm talking Brazilian jujitsu, man. So, so what I want this episode to really focus in on and i want your perspective on is talking discipline talking happens mm -hmm. and yeah. because i think to manage and juggle all those things that you seem to be doing a really good job at uh you have to have discipline and you have to have habits in some form or fashion so i do want to talk about that so like to kick things off clint how about we say you know to let's talk about maybe the discipline first let's talk mm -hmm. about your daily routine and how you feel like that's been a, a crucial uh in your de personal development right yeah i mean it's it's ebbed and flowed over the years uh just depending on what i was kind of into you know um i've always been you know for the past man i want to say close to coming up on probably 15, 20 years. It's like, I've, I've been pretty steady about working out and having that be, you know, uh, just a part of my day, just in general. Uh, when I first started out, you know, my background was, I was a musician, you know, before I kind of moved back to PA and all the things that come along with that, the unhealthy lifestyle and stuff like that. And then had a little bit of a wake up call, lost a close friend, um, 
you know, that he had a, an, an, an illness that he didn't know about, you know, until it was too late. And it kind of just kind of snapped things into focus for me. And I was like, man, you know, you only get one crack at this thing and um, you know, your body, you either um, you either invest now or you pay later, you know, with your health. And so, you know, my wife was always kind of really healthy and stuff like that. And so I really just kind of started out doing a lot of yoga is really how I started. It wasn't like a real macho, like I'm going to lift weights and stuff like that. I started doing a lot of yoga, like four or five days a week. And I would bike ride, you know, as well. I would run, you know, I lived in Florida, so it was hot. Um, and I just started making it part of my daily ritual, like wherever I could fit it in. Like at that time, I was also going to school, you know, I was working two jobs, you know, we just had our daughter. Um, and so it just kind of had to get in where it fit in at first. Um, and that was really kind of how it started. Then, you know, we moved back to PA and my job life became a little bit more normal, you know, where I worked like a normal nine to five and our daughter was going to preschool and stuff like that. And then it became more of a morning thing. And that's when I started adding like, you know, uh, still running, uh, still some yoga, but a little bit less and then started doing more kind of like hit or circuit kind of like cardio weight training kind of workouts. Um, and it kind of evolved, you know, and so with that, I got really disciplined because I had to catch the train to work. And so the only time I really had to fit it in, if I didn't want to kind of cut out on family time and stuff like that, was I had to get it in in the morning, like first thing. And so I just forced myself to get up and get it in. It just had to happen. It was one of those things where, you know, you can convince yourself to make any excuse in the book that you want to. And a lot of times it's, I don't have time. And so what I just got real good about was, I just need 20 minutes and I just need it to be the most brutal 20 minutes I can possibly have it be to get the benefit. You know what I mean? Like 20 to 30 minutes, depending on what I had. And so most of my workouts for the longest time would only be about 20 minutes in length, but they would be blistering. It'd be like all I could go, whatever I was doing for, you know, that 20 minutes or that 25 minutes, whatever the case was, you know, and I would add stuff in, you know, on, you know, evenings, especially in the summer when we get a little bit more daylight, you know, I'd add in like, you know, weighted vest runs and stuff like that in the afternoons. And I put a 40 pound vest on and I would do like a five mile trail run or whatever, you know, and that was, that lasted a while until like my knees started feeling it. <laughs> That's whenever the, the weighted vest run kind of had to, had to stop, you know? And so for me, that was when my routine really and habits really started to kick in. Uh, it was whenever I was able to kind of add it to the morning cause it was like the quiet time. Mm-hmm. Um, and that lasted for, for years, man, you know, and it was different workouts. Like it would always kind of change. I would get bored with something. So then I would start using kettlebells as the primary thing. And it would kind of, you know, evolve to that, but always in the morning. And that was the habit. Right. And the funny thing was, was that it really kind of changed in the past two years when I started doing Brazilian jiu-jitsu because, you know, I train at night, you know, usually from seven to nine and my, and then I'm, I still have a habit though. It's like, you know, the habit has just, the timing of it has changed. So now instead of working out every morning, you know, weight training has become less critical for me. Um, I still do it, but it, it fits in in a different way to where now, you know, I train jujitsu four days a week, you know, two hours each session usually. So it's Tuesdays, Thursdays from seven to nine. And then Friday is open mat. So I'll just go and like roll live rounds for like, you know, two hours. And I don't roll the whole two hours. I might roll like six, seven matches or whatever. So I might get like 40, 42 minutes of live rounds. Um, and then Sunday's a leg lock class. So I'll train that day Sundays as well for two hours. So it's an hour leg lock class and an hour of open mat. And so I get a lot of live rounds in. And so that's kind of like the staple, you know, that's the habit of like, I I don't miss, even if I don't feel great, you know, I mean, if I'm sick, I don't go, but if it's more of a mental fatigue, you know, I just, I force myself to be there because when I do, I feel great afterwards. And then I kind of build the rest of like my routine kind of around that as far as like, you know, working out and like my habits, like, cause that's kind of like the immovable stuff. And then, you know, like the lifting kind of fits in, you know, I'm 45 now and I can't, uh, do everything that I used to do to the same extent. Right. And so I have to, I have to do a lot more listening to my body and giving it what it needs. And so in the last two years, my rest and recovery has become a priority where it's like, man, I'm in bed and I prioritize my rest over, over my lift. You know, and so if I get to bed a little late or I'm feeling fatigued and I'm going to sleep in the next day a little bit, and that means I have to miss my lift that day, then I miss the lift that day because my rest is the priority, you know, and then I'll figure out how to fit the lift in somewhere else during the week, you know, and I really only lift twice a week and it's very specific to things around, you know, uh, making sure that I, you know, manage my shoulder injury and hopefully not, not re-injure it to stabilize and strengthen that. And then, 
Um, and it's all focused on jujitsu movements. You know, it's all focused on strength that I need for jujitsu, which oddly enough or funny enough that those things actually really apply to like shooting a bow. It's right. a lot of the same muscle groups and the same yeah. things that you're using to shoot a bow. So that's really kind of how I create like my habit is really around like the immovable things. Um, and then it just becomes mind over matter of right. whether or not you want to do them. And I've worked in cold plunging and so I cold plunge before I go train. And how so has like, that been? It's been great, man. Like, yeah, I can tell a big difference just in terms of, you know, my athletic performance whenever I get, when I get to the gym to, to train, um, I'm way more alert, you know, so it, it kind of fits in there as well. So it's like I'll cold plunge usually right after work on the days that I train. A lot of guys like to do it in the morning, but like I said, like I prioritize that rest and recovery. So it doesn't always fit in, you know, in the mornings for me. And then I'll plunge right before I go to jujitsu train, come home. And then it's been like, cause you're supposed to let it go for about two hours before you shower or warm up, you know, let your body warm up naturally. Um, and so then when I get home from jujitsu, it's been beyond two hours. And so then I can grab a shower and do, and do whatever, but my ability to focus and be present, you know, whenever I'm training, um, is just leaps and bounds different from where it used to be whenever I wouldn't cold plunge before I go in, because you definitely have those days where I'm going in and I'm just going through the motions, right. Cause I'm just fatigued, like rough day at work. I'm tired. I'm mentally exhausted, you know, and then cold plunge, you're woke, you, you wake up and boom, I hit the jujitsu mat and it's like, I'm on fire and I could just like the gains I've been able to make just like in technique, um, in capability, like since I started cold plunging is, is noticeable for me. Um, and it just helps focus on a lot of stuff because I'll, I'll do that. And, you know, before I go to jujitsu, it's like, I might go out and shoot my bow or whatever. And it's just like, when I do that, I'm just dialed in. And I feel like in the mantra the past two years for me has been quality over quantity because it's like, I'm doing so much. I have to make the things that I do matter and not spend time doing stuff that isn't getting me a benefit. So even the way I scout and stuff now is wildly different now than it was like three years ago. Right. I don't spend nearly as much time doing it, but I get a lot more out of it when I do it. Yeah. So with all that and with the consistency and, you know, I'm going to say with the consistency and the mind over matter situation that, that you kind of alluded to there, you know, how did, how the heck, man, did you, do you maintain it? Like you said, I know you have setbacks, whether you're not feeling well or, or other mm -hmm. things like that, but I feel like that is the number one question. Like it is so good to have habits. It's so good to have that process. And that is the one aspect, like, I, I hope we can get into goals just because I always, and I teach goals in my health class. Mm -hmm. And lately I've, I've been kind of rewording things and reteaching things and relearning how to teach this aspect to the students is it's great to have these goals, but how can we make habits where we could reach these, actually achieve these goals and reach them? And so like when I, when I ask you like with the consistency and the mind over matter here, Clint, how, how, what have you done or what has helped you maintain this over the, let's say two years since it's been the Brazilian jiu-jitsu stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think if we go back even further than that, it was what helped me maintain it initially was actually just like anxiety. It mm -hmm. was how I was managing, like having anxiety and, th and things of that nature. Um, you know, and then more recently, um, you know, when I started, it was really kind of, uh, you know, the past two years have been kind of transformative for me, not just the jiu-jitsu stuff, but like I really started investing uh, you know, investing in, in myself in a, in a way that was more around like, like my, like the way I am mentally, like being present and um, being more, you know, present whenever I'm doing things and, and examining like thoughts that I'm having or the way I'm feeling, you know, in that moment, like I'm having anxiety about something. It's like, well, where's that coming from? Why am I having that? Like, you know, it's coming from a good place. So this is actually good. Like I should feel this way. Right. And we don't give ourselves the opportunity to do that. And it just being, you know, it's a, popular word, but being mindful, right? I read a, I read a book from this guy who lived with monks for like, uh, like, I think it was like a year and he took like a vow of silence for a year and he's a professor somewhere and he teaches like some meditation stuff. It was a great book. I, I'll have to, I'll share, I don't remember off the top of my head, but I'll share it with you after. Um, and I read that and it was just the way and how you deal with yourself, you know, and it, and the biggest thing for me was like, you know, and it goes into hunting as well Is I gave myself grace to not be perfect. I gave myself grace to where I could, you know, I could miss a day because I'm prior I prioritized doing something, going to, you know, breakfast with my daughter instead of getting a workout in that day. Right. Or that morning or whatever the case is. Right. And so it wasn't 
a one size fits all. And I think that's the mistake we make a lot of times is we try to make this one size fits all. And if it doesn't fit in, then it's not, then it doesn't work or it doesn't, then it doesn't get into your life. And I think you just miss a lot of opportunities and a lot of experiences that way. And so I just took a different approach to where I want to experience all these things and I'm going to create good habits around them, but I'm also going to create a good kind of mental clarity around what they mean to me and how important they are to me and how they fit in. So because there was a point with hunting for me that jujitsu really helped me a lot with that I was starting to not enjoy it anymore because I was making it such like I had such a habit around having to get out and scout like every single weekend and do so many miles. And like, it was so rigid that it was starting to just zap the fun out of it for me. But as soon as I got away from it and started adding something in like jujitsu and started, you know, thinking about ideas around meditation and, and doing some meditation and like, you know, just mindfulness exercises and stuff like that all of a sudden it gave me the space that I needed to kind of fall back in love with hunting again and have the passion again that I had 10 years ago, you know, and that's, you know, the old saying that distance makes the heart grow fonder. There's a lot of truth to that, right? If you want to love something more than you loved it the day before, give it a little bit of time and a little bit of distance. Right. And, um, and so that's kind of what I've, that's kind of what I found. And so it was less about that hustle mentality. Cause that's what a lot of people preach. And there's a time and a place for that. But for me, it was more about being better to myself than I was before and giving myself some grace to actually live life and experience things. And all these things can happen and all, all of them can get done and I can reach all my goals and I'll actually probably reach them faster because I'm more well-rounded. Yeah. Yeah. Like you said too, you're more present, like you're, you're yeah. focused, you're, you're dialed in to, to whatever you're, you're involved in. And that's the aspect of giving yourself grace. I, I couldn't agree more with you about that, Clint, because man, you've probably listened to like we could turn we could flip it to specifically a hunting podcast here where we could sit there and say we've listened to some where people put that pressure on themselves and man 10 out of 10 times when you listen and you hear that person say the second they take that pressure off and they enjoy it again the success goes through the roof because they're giving themselves that they're giving themselves that grace and that's critical Mm -hmm. man like when you like you said uh and and the thing about that too is certain times individuals will allow those external factors to really uh, play an influence on on themselves, like like you said, either mentally mm-hmm. or uh, anything along those. And that's I think if you could be able to uh, disassociate the external influences as far as to let them really tear you down. And I'm not just talking keyboard warriors. I'm not just saying that, but just heck, it could even be certain friends. It could be uh, Mm -hmm. family members, whatever. Uh, But if you are establishing those habits and those uh, like your discipline, don't let those external influences really play a role in in bringing that down too. Yeah. I mean, they're going to have no, or they're going to have very little, uh, if any impact on whether or not you're successful or not. Right. <laughs> Therefore they should also have very little to no impact on whether or not you're going to fail. Right. And, and whether or not you, you care whether they know or not, or whether you care what they think about it or not. Right. Um, and that's, I mean, I've just operated that way a long time, you know, at least I thought I did, you know, especially as a musician, you have to kind of grow thick skin because you're going to get a lot of no's. Um, people aren't going to like what you do or whatever the case is. Um, and a lot of people will like to say that they don't care. They, you know, they can block out the noise and it's just them fooling themselves. And I think when you finally come to the realization that like, no, I hear stuff and yeah, sometimes it bothers me. Then you can start to actually work with it and manage it. You know what I mean? And understand that it doesn't have an impact. Right. But if you just try to ignore it, it, that's where you start to fall down. And that's kind of like where the mindfulness stuff really kind of hit home for me. Um, and I'm not a, foofy, you know, like, you know, (laughs) gonna go get my like, you know, rain dance on or, you know, get my crystals out and stuff like that. Like that's, I'm not like, I'm not that type of hippie, you know? Um, but you know, I like to try to do things and put them in practice and see if they're effective. Right. Like I'm a, I'm, I'm a very much a, um, a, a results oriented type of person or a data oriented type of person. Like if something if, if you tell me something is a, then I want to see it happen and I want to see that it's a right. And so when I was going through all this stuff, kind of how I tested it, um, and you can use this in hunting too, but the first opportunity I had to test it was I got done reading that book and I had a jujitsu competition that was coming up and, you know, just like anyone else who competes, like you get a level of nervousness and stuff like that. 
um, and you're unsure, um, you might be a little scared, you know, all these things are pretty normal. Like when you're competing, you know, in any, in anything, especially a one-on-one sport where it's you and one other person. And it's like, you're going to go try to try to choke each other or break each other's arms. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's not like a football game where it's like, yeah, I can kind of hide my mistakes or my inadequacies among uh, 10 other guys, you know? Um, and so I was getting ready for the tournament and I just thought to myself, I was like, you know what? I'm going to try to just use that time to be really, really present as present as I could possibly be and recognize that the outcome actually doesn't really matter. Like it's all about your preparation. It's all about, um, your effort and it's all about your, your performance and having a great performance doesn't always mean that you'll win, you know, that winning is often a byproduct of that, but it's not always right. And so I remember like going into like the first couple matches that I had, I think I had seven that day and I would get normal butterflies or nervousness. And I just remember I would sit like the next X, you know, next to the mat, I'd close my eyes and I would just take some breaths and I would just think about what I was feeling at the moment. Like, okay, you're anxious. It's okay. You're supposed to be anxious. Well, where's it coming from? Well, it's because I want to perform well. Well, why do you want to perform well? Because I've put a lot of work into this and I want to see my work to come to come to fruition. Right. So it was all coming from a positive place. There was nothing bad about it. Right. And so it was just recognizing that. And I would always tell myself before I walked on the mat that like perform your best, you know, and, and the outcome will be what it's, what, what it's supposed to be. Right. And I basically did that before every match and I won seven matches, submitted five guys and beat two by points, you know, and I didn't give up a single point the entire tournament. Like, so yeah. And so, and, and again, I'm not like the greatest, I'm far from a good jujitsu practitioner, right? Like I'm still very new in my journey, but it was more the idea of mentally being able to perform. Right. And kind of coming to terms with like the feelings of anxiety and performance and people watching and, and all that type of stuff. And so it just gave me a really good kind of roadmap for doing that in like your day-to-day life. Cause it, when, if it can work in the moments where you're maybe the most anxious and the most scared, um, then it can work when you have a bad meeting at work. Right. It can work whenever you had a tough conversation with your wife or your daughter or whatever. Um, it's the same kind of same tools. Right. Um, and so, you know, so I use that a lot to this day. I use it whenever I'm hunting, <laughs> yeah. whenever I'm, when things aren't going Shooting. well for me or whatever. I mean, like while you're saying that, man, I mean, that's, that's your, that process is the same thought process that I used uh, to go along with, uh, the physical things that I use to help be target panic, like to mm-hmm. get over that yeah. and just kind of the same thing. Like, why do why do I feel this anxiety? Because I want to perform. I want to be able to to not look stupid and shooting in front of people. Because I used to I used to not care, and then when I started to care, that's when stuff went haywire. And I just would went mentally did that, yeah. did the physical tools. So everything you just said is that same process that I took to to beat that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's so many parallels to it. It's just the you know being mentally present. I think once you once you start to do it, you know, and, and, uh, it just becomes like a natural thing that you, that you do, or that you Mm -hmm. kind of fall back on. Um, it just makes everything a lot better. Like, you know, it's just, I, I I now, you know, I do things with intention now. Like if I'm having a conversation with my daughter, I try to be intentful and and listen, you know, not just hear her, but listen to her, Mm -hmm. you know, um, or not listen, but hear her, I guess is the way I should have said it. Um, and so it's just, you know, you find it starting to creep into like, aspects of your everyday life you know and when you do that it makes a lot of the scary stuff or the bad stuff not seem nearly as bad because you can really kind of examine it for what it is and where it's coming from take the guesswork out of building your own arrows for this upcoming season by ordering a custom set of arrows from exodus outdoor gear they have developed and sourced literally the most precise archery components on earth to build a tailored arrow for your hunting adventures. Just head over to Exodus's website and plug in your specifications in the arrow builder and have your custom set sent straight to your door. You have two arrows to choose from, one being the MMT arrow, which is a 246 diameter shaft, and the new NIS, which is a 204 diameter shaft arrow. Use code AU to save 15% off your tailored arrow order at exodusoutdoorgear.com. Right. And the flip side of that too is like what we were just saying, you're building that mental toughness, that mental resiliency. And when you learn and you figure out what helps, 
when you are talking to your daughter, especially like you were saying, being a, a teenager, my daughter is ten, will be 10 here in the next couple of weeks on the verge of that, that teenager years. It already feels like that. But you're able to maybe help them in a way that personally, man, I didn't have that growing up. It mm. was like yeah. swim, sink or swim, dude, and mm-hmm. which I'm not – I'm super glad I – I learned how to to hold my breath as long as I did, basically, right. in that way, because it made me who I am. Uh, but because they are our loved ones and, and they are mm-hmm. our children, you know, you want to have, obviously be better than what we were. So it, I think I couldn't agree more because I've had to have many conversations like that. And man, mm-hmm. like you said, a couple of years ago, my anxiety, my stress and everything like that, I'm glad I've been able to overcome that. So now if I see something creeping into her everyday life, I can maybe help put things in perspective and hear her like you were saying and make her maybe look at things a different way. Yeah. I mean, I think whenever you're, you know, you wear as many hats as we do, you know, being a dad, running podcasts, working full time and whatever else, you know, it is that you have, um, have going on, it becomes really hard to be present at all those, at all those moments, you know, um, and when you find a mechanism that can help you do that, it just, it makes everything easier. You know, um, I want to get back to what you said, like when you were talking about mental toughness, cause I kind of grew up in the same, same way, right? Like my whole family was mil- military. All the guys in my family, if my last name, last name went to the military, I'm the only one who didn't. Um, and so that was very much that style of upbringing. It was like, you know, you just grind, you know, just whatever it is you got to do, you go do it. And not saying that that's not, you know, appropriate sometimes, right? But the way I think about mental toughness now is like the hardest thing I had to do. I, I could always just like put my head down and grind. You know, that was never a question. You know, the hardest thing I had to do, though, was actually honestly examine myself. Right. Like that was mentally tough whenever I had to kind of look and go like, what are my deficiencies? Like, where am I not good? You know, where am I failing? Like, where am I failing other people? You know, then how do I fix that? Right. Because that's the true mental toughness. Like that's the part where you open yourself up and, you know, bear all your warts, you know, to try to, to try to fix them, you know, or try to work on them. You may not ever fix all, you may, may not hundred percent fix, you know, any one of them, but can I be a little bit better at some of them, you know, for someone else. And, um, you know, that's mental toughness for me. That was all, that was the hardest part for me was to like, to, to do that, to be, um, that kind of self-aware, you know, and in my opinion, you know, you just, you just lead a happier and more fulfilling life whenever you are that self-aware. How have you dealt with setbacks? I know, like you said, you had grace, you know, you've given yourself grace, but you know, is there an example that you might be able to, to think about or pops up to mind or anything like that? Man, that's a great question. Um, I mean, I think, you know, people will always point to like the physical setbacks, right? Like those are real easy, right? Cause I had a setback with my shoulder injury and you know, wasn't sure if I was going to be able to hunt this year at all. You know, and even last year, it's like the shoulder injuries popped up two different times now, like right before seasons uh, started, you know, and that was just accepting the fact that, and this is where like the, the distance helped me, you know, cause it was just accepting the fact that like hunting doesn't define me. Like I'm not going to be my wife and my daughter aren't going to think anything different of me if I can't hunt this year. Right. Like, and that's really what it came down to. Right. Would, would some people, would the content of the podcast be as good? Maybe not, but you know, I doubt they're going to put on my tomb. My, my headstone was a good podcaster. You know what I mean? Like it's probably not going to be in my eulogy, <laughs> you know? So, yeah. um, and that's another way that I've tried to try to frame things. Like even from a work perspective, I put that in its appropriate kind of box, you know, because the question I always ask myself is, are these people showing up to my funeral? And that's how I decide how much time I give somebody, you know what I mean? That's how much time that's a, that's, that's a kind of a crappy way to say it. That's how much I'm willing to give up, uh, other meaningful things for somebody, you know, uh, is based on whether or not that person would show up to my funeral. Right. Because if you're asking me to spend time away from my family to work the weekend, you're not showing up to my funeral. So the answer is no. Right. Like, it just becomes really, really easy for me when you start to prioritize things that way, you know, not saying that you don't, you know, do your job or whatever the case is. Right. But, um, that's kind of how I prioritize. But as far as, as far as having, having faults, you know, or, um, 
places where I've, I kind of failed was, you know, truth, truthfully, I think there was a, um, a moment where I thought I needed to be a better dad. And that was kind of part of the transformation, like in the past two years where I realized, you know, there was, you know, some things that, that went down that I realized that I was not hearing. I wasn't hearing my daughter. I was listening, but I wasn't hearing, you know, and I had to, you know, and the easy thing to do is beat yourself up over it. Right. We all make mistakes as parents. Right. The hard part is like when you recognize them is, is fixing them. Right. Um, and so I just, you know, doubled down on that where it was, you know, I was like, I need to be more involved. Like it's easy when, when it's a guy, when it's a boy, right? Like if I, if it were a son, it'd be like, we hunt together, do this, that, the other, whatever. Right. It's a little different when you have a teenage daughter because the stuff that she's into, I was like, I need to be into the stuff that she's into. Right. Because that's what she's into. I, it's not, you know, so we do jujitsu together. She loves horseback riding, you know, so we'll go do that once in a while. Um, she's a foodie, so she'll make me food, you know, <laughs> and, and she loves to cook, you know, and she likes to go out to like breakfast together. And so we, I try to make time to go do those things. Right. And just have conversation. I, and I stopped talking to her like she was a child and I started talking to her like, um, like I wished someone would have talked to me when I was her age. Right. And so I think a lot of times we forget what it was like to be, you know, their age, um, or to be 15, you know, 14, whatever, whatever it is and how much we just wanted to feel like someone was hearing us and that we were an equal. And so I realized I was doing the same thing to her that like my parents did to me. Right. And so that was a hard one. Right. Cause I always said, I was like, I'll do better. Right. And then I was like, <laughs> I was like, man, I'm doing this. I was like, I'm doing the same freaking thing, you know? And so that was a hard one, like to like, look at myself and go like, I need to be better there. Like, you know, Right. Dude, I, I give you a, a props, man, because I, I kind of put myself in that same boat. Um, I was coaching, uh, I was, just, I just told a student the other day, I, I was just shy of a decade mm -hmm. of, of coaching and my daughter is about to be 10, like I said. So pretty much this past spring was the first year that I did not coach at any mm -hmm. point in time. And I kind of felt like a crappy dad too, you know. Like I was, I felt like I wasn't listening. Kind of like what you were saying about wanting to, you know. If I did have a boy, mm -hmm. it would be so easy. But I'm a sports nut. My wife could give two shits about any sport or activity. She hates competition and would run, and she don't run, so she's not like. But she would run as far <laughs> away from it right. as possible. Whereas for me, I'm like, let's get in there. I'm like, right. we have to win, you know, and the type of ordeal and. My daughter, same thing, horseback riding, mm -hmm. dance. And, you know, she's gone hunting with me. She's done certain things, and she has those interests. Our big interest right now together is WWE. Right. Like, it's, it, you know, it, it's so awesome that she's into it because when I was a kid, that was mm -hmm. that was my outlet. And I look at it, like you were saying, I would you, you hear that they mm -hmm. see everything, right? They hear everything. And I th would always put myself in that position. I didn't have that chance to see that. Like, my dad was out of out of I would I'd see my dad during hunting season because they were right. they were split up. So when I was old enough to make that decision like hey do you want to go to your dad's this weekend? I didn't because he was building mm -hmm. kind of a new life for him which is awesome, you know, kudos to him. We're all one big thing now, but back then you know, it was it was only mm -hmm. during hunting season I would see him. And then for my mom, she worked and she you know, had some demons of her of her own self, and so she would do things. And I look at my grandparents, so it was kind of like mm -hmm. I'm on my own. So I didn't have I have that I do have those selfish eyes and mindset at times because I'm it was yeah. always just me. I had to always look out for myself. So how how do I now as as like you were saying as a parent, how can I flip that and be like I'm mm -hmm. present for you. I'm I'm here for you. I don't want that. So it dude, it took me a while and I finally feel like I'm 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 heck of a lot better right. from where I was, but I know I still right. have yeah. ways I mean, to go. And we're never going to be perfect at it. You're never perfect at, at anything, but I think as long as you know, they recognize that you're trying, you know, or the effort the effort is there, the attempt is there, you know, um then that's all that then that's all that really matters, right? Like you know, she knows that she needs something. I'm here. 
Um, she needs to talk about something. I'm here for that, you know. Um, and I've always been fortunate in that way where she's always been cool to like talk to me about stuff that was bothering her that was serious for her, you know. Um, you know, as an adult, you might look at it and be like, all right, man, this is child's play. But for her, it's like you have to think about the idea that like that's her everything, that's her world right now, you know. Um, and so you have to treat it, you have to treat it as such. Um, and so I think it's just doing those things. It's like, you know, you don't have to take them on lavish trips. You don't have to spend them on a bunch of money on them and stuff like that. It's, it's just be there. Right. And be the thing that they need when they need it. And sometimes that's, you know, they need someone to talk to. And sometimes that's like, gotta be the disciplinarian, right? Like they also need that. Right. And so it doesn't mean that you go soft, but it means that, you know, it's kind of the role that you, that you play um, as a dad, you know, especially for me, at least a dad to a, a girl is, I have to constantly kind of be the thing that she needs me to be when she needs to, me to be it. And it changes throughout her life. Right. Um, you know, and so right now it's, um, you know, meeting a future boyfriend, right. It's like, that's the next thing that's happening. <laughs> she was like, hey, I want to bring this kid over for you to meet. And I'm like, all right, great. Awesome. You know, I might, might threaten violence a little bit, not overtly might be, you know, <laughs> right. Right. It's like that. It's like, I told her, I was like, yeah, he's got to come train jujitsu for like an hour with me before you guys yeah. can hang out. That's yeah. If he, could, if, you know? if he could last <laughs> so, a couple minutes and then I'll give him, give you my blessing. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. But man, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, those, those failures, I mean, we have them, you know, more than we want to admit and probably even more than we, we can remember, you know, to be mm -hmm. honest with you, um, you know, because we're, we're always on to the next thing, you know, what is the next kind of obstacle, you know, that's kind of what life is, right. It's like you enjoy the moments of, of, um, of leisure or of success in between and they're in their, right. in their brief, right. Same thing with hunting, yeah. you know, it's like, I always joke with Chad, man, that like, you know, you kill a big deer and there's like three yeah. people that care. You know, it's like, and that's it. You know, it's like no one, like you could ask, you could ask people to listen to the, to the podcast. You could probably take a poll of what I like, how my hunting season was this year. And out of all the people that listened to it, right. Like maybe 10 would know. Yeah. You know what I mean? And out of those 10, like maybe one would actually feel like, man, I'm really happy. Right. For him. <laughs> yeah. You know what it means? Like, it's, it's like that list is so yeah. small, you know, it's like, it's your buddies and that, and that's it, you know? And so you really shouldn't spend any time thinking about whether or not someone approves of what you're doing or not doing or whatever. If you're doing right by the people that care about you, then that's all that really matters. Dude, I couldn't agree more with that. Spartan Forge stands at the nexus of machine learning and whitetail deer hunting to deliver truly intuitive and science-based products that saves the hunter time spent scouting, planning, and executing their hunts. You have deer prediction, journaling, and the best maps on any hunting app platform there is. Use code ANTLERUP to save 20% off your Spartan Forge membership at SpartanForge.ai. I think like how you were saying, with this longevity of the consistency of, of the discipline and, and your habits, and, and you said earlier too how that's changed your hunting aspect of things as far as like scouting goes. Mm -hmm. I could only imagine the improvement that has also had in th that endeavor because even like when you uh, disassociate and you say like I'm I'm out here doing what I want to do because I enjoy it it's my passion it's uh it's my one of my favorite hobbies to do is to go out and like for your for your example of going out to Kansas you go out there with some some buddies and all that stuff you have crazy success but when you're out there and things aren't going your way and you're trying to figure things out, if you already have this process in place of being okay with not necessarily saying I'm okay to fail and, and go home and eat tag soup, but if you are okay with knowing that the least that you're going to get out of it is some amazing experience and, and learning and and flip the negative as a positive, that's when I think... It, enhancements and improvements are tenfold it's when you again think about like you said what are people going to think what are what and you start thinking more negative that's when it really does detrimental and i i could only imagine how much more that's helped you and in in your hunting journey yeah it was um two things really kind of happened 
you know, one was, and I've, I've said this before, but I was talking to my buddy, Tony Peterson, and you know, we were just kind of chatting. I don't remember if he was doing on a podcast or if it was just like a phone call he and I had. And, um, because the past couple of years were just tough. Like I'd gotten beat in a bunch of different places in PA and in Kansas, you know, it was just like multiple occasions where it was just, it should have happened, but deer did deer things. And then I just didn't get an arrow arrow off, you know? And, you know, Tony just said to me, he's like, you know, you'll be surprised when you just start deer hunting again, how quickly big deer will hit the ground and how quickly tags will start to fill up, you know? And that was kind of like a way of saying that when you stop, caring about all the ancillary things and just enjoy the experience. That's when good things start to happen, right? When you're just, when you're just on the journey, you know? Um, and that's really kind of like what I did. And then he said that to me and then, you know, I was doing jujitsu at the same time. And, and there's a funny thing that happens in jujitsu too. It's like when you start out and you don't know anything, you know, every round that you roll with somebody, like you're trying to win, you know, you're trying not to get beat. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's, appropriate because you're know nothing and you're getting killed for a long time and then something starts to happen right and it started happening to me like right before i got my blue belt which was i stopped caring about winning every round not that i didn't want to win but i was way more interested in the possibilities that i was capable of and exploring Mm -hmm. new things same with hunting like interested in the experience and exploring in the adventure of not knowing what's happening next but wanting to learn off of it you know whatever it want whatever it is i want to i want to do it i want to see it and then i want to take whatever it is from it that i can right and i don't even know what that is yet right and it might not be worth much but i but i want to do that right yeah and jujitsu is the same way where it's like you stopped worrying about winning and all of a sudden like you start to see your skills jump because you're not in this singular rut of trying to do the things you're good at only to get the win you're now kind of playing different positions different techniques that you're not good at because you're trying to figure out what can i be good at and what can i do and what can i do what do i need to work on you know and that's that's when i saw growth there and ultimately when i did that this year in bow hunting is when i saw growth too you know that was whenever i had the best the the most success Mm -hmm. um and and i mean i had some you know three like you know, I use data a lot and like, you know, had some experiences and, you know, but I was making decisions off of things that I was seeing in, in real time. I wasn't right. second guessing things. It was more of just kind of going with the flow, you know, whatever's right. happening. So I'm going to take it at face value and I'm going to make my plan based on that. And I'm going to see what happens. And, you know, and then going into this coming year, it's like, I'm like, Hey, let's up the ante on that, man. Let's like, let's have some new experiences. Like, so it's like, now I'm shooting a longbow, you know, I'm like, I'm going to do this now with a longbow, you know, yep. and see what happens. You know, it's like, it might suck real bad or it could be the coolest, <laughs> coolest freaking thing, thing that I've ever done. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. but I was like, I'm, I'm down for it. Like, let's try it. You know, let's see what, let's see what happens, you know, and I'm not going into it with any expectations. We're just going to let it rip, you know? And I mean, I'm going to shoot a lot, you know, I was shooting right before we got on, you know, and, and do my due diligence to give myself the best chance. But, you know, I want to, I want that experience of like, for me, this past two years has been like an evolution of me trying to figure out how to connect myself as 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 much as i possibly can to the things that i do like i want things connected to my body i want them to be you know derivative of me with as little with as little transfer to anything else in between me and the end thing right and so jujitsu is all my body right it's all me it's my mental space it's my physical ability it's you know you know it's totally like mind body and spirit like when you're doing jujitsu because it's just it, it, it's that intense. Like if you, if you get in your own head, it's, it becomes really, really hard. The more you kind of disassociate and are able to kind of see outside yourself, the more clear things become. And hunting's kind of the same way. And I can, I don't know anything about anything when it comes to indigenous tribes and stuff like that, but I can only imagine that their experience was that of like deep connection with what they were doing because it was sustenance, right? They were living off of it. And I want to try to get as close to that as I can. And so everything I do now is about me trying to be kind of like part of the thing as much as I possibly can and not be disassociated with it in any way, shape or form. Right. Dude, I think when you do that and you achieve that, that feeling, I feel like you are going to be more at ease too with the decision that you make. 
like whether it is leads to a successful hunt with you notching a tag that day or not, because like you said, hunting environments are extremely unpredictable. I know there's you, you could sit there and say, well, cell cameras, blah, 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 blah. But I'm talking like majority of the time it is extremely unpredictable. Deer are going to do deer movements. I can't control if you're hunting on public land or hell, even on private land, what somebody may or may not do that could disrupt and change something. So in that, in those situations, it's unpredictable. But like how you said, when you become, you're in, in that sense of, of like, uh, this is part of me. This is, um, this is how I feel. This is how I'm going to execute. And you come with that. You're going to be more okay with your decision and probably make the right decision more so than not. Right. Yeah. And it, the other thing is too, is like, I've always felt like, like when I'm like, um, I always felt as though when I was, when I'm hunting that I was only ever a, a, uh, a visitor or an observer, right. That the deer or whatever I'm chasing, you know, was allowing me for a brief moment into their world. Right. And so the conscious decision for me to, you know, whenever I went to Kansas to want to do it only on the ground was the only way I was going to do it was because, and then the conscious decision now for me to go, you know what, I want to, I want to do it with a longbow now. now Cause my end all be all goal is to, to kill a quality whitetail in Kansas in the plains country on the ground with a longbow at close distance. Like that's ultimately what I want. That's pretty um, freaking mecca. <laughs> yeah. And the reason is, is that, I want to, I want to go beyond being an observer and I want to be a participant. Like I want to participate in their world. So in order to do that, I can't perch above them. I need to be like with them, you know, um, as close as I can possibly be with as, as, as intimate, uh, a, a weapon as I can use it I'm, that I'm, that I'm capable of using and that, and that I can ethically use. Right. Um, and so that to me is like the chase now. It's not, you know, how many tags can I feel, fill? It's how how connected can I get to the thing that I'm doing? Like that to me is the drug. You know, that's the thing that I'm I'm chasing. Um, and whenever you, at least for me anyway, when you start chasing that, whether it's in hunting or in jujitsu or whatever, because I'm not in jujitsu, it's like I'm not chasing belts. Like I don't care. Like you put the time in, you'll become whatever it is you're supposed to become, whether it's a black belt or whatever. But what I'm chasing is that feeling of like when you hit techniques clean or when something happens that you didn't even see that it just happens because your body recognizes the feeling of what happens next. Right. Like that. And when it happens, man, it feels, oh, it's amazing. Right. And that's the same feeling I'm chasing with hunting is that connection, right. Is to where you're just doing the thing because that is the thing that you are primitively supposed to be doing. And I feel like the only way I can start to get close to that is to do it in a way that it was done in a primitive way. Right. So, dude, that's killer. I, so to kind of so to wrap up this conversation with the discipline and habits, Clint, if you have someone that's listening and trying to make new habits and create new discipline, man, when you think back to the beginning of your process and the beginning of your journey with this. What can you share as for as far as motivation? I shouldn't say motivation, but uh, to help to help these individuals continue to create these habits, to continue to with this consistency. What can you share? Right. I mean, for me, it's simple, man. It's like, what's your why? Like, mm. what's That's the good. reason you're doing it for? Yeah. You know, and you know, and doesn't it like, doesn't have to be what someone else's why is, you know, some people, you know, and your why might change over time. Um, you know, for me, my why early was that, you know, I had a friend pass away and I wanted to make sure that I was as healthy as I could be because there were things in life he didn't get to experience that I wanted to experience. He was never able to get married. He never got married. He never had kids, never had a, like a family of his own. And those were all things that I wanted to have. And so health was not going to be the reason why I didn't have those things or experience those things. I felt like I owed it to him like to do that. And then over time, like my why, you know, your why changes, you know, and now it's to be able to show up as the best version of me that I can for my wife and my daughter. Right. Like that's the why, you know, that's the reason why I do those things. Cause if I don't, I'm not as good of a, I'm not as good of a man as I could be if I don't do those things. 
right? And so whatever it happens to be, it might be because you just want to get into shape, but just reevaluate it. Because when that doesn't become your why anymore, it becomes hard to be disciplined on the, those things and keep the habits, right? And your habits may change over time and that's okay too, right? Like, you know, and that's the, that's the grace part. Like, but, you know, know yourself well enough to know like when they need to shift and why they need to shift, you know, and just don't make excuses for why you can't, you know, um, and just stay committed to the why and keep evolving it. Heck yeah, man. I, I appreciate that, that message. And, uh, to kind of, before we get off Clint, man, uh, I would love a cliff notes version where people could, again, if you're already not listening to, to truth from the stand, Clint's podcast, uh, and he, he mentioned earlier, he, he like you said, there's there's a few bit of people that really care, but man, if you were like, dude, I've liked this message. I didn't know how Clint's season went. Man, what what kind of year did you have? Because I I know just from us discussing and and following along, I know you had a really cool year. You had some goals. You achieved those goals, and and like you said, so now you your why changed. You're you're doing something a little bit different next yeah. year. So just briefly in the state of PA in Kansas and anywhere else that you maybe uh, went and got your butt kicked and or had success. Right. Yeah. So butt kickings happened the past couple of years and it all kind of built, <laughs> all kind of built to this year. Um, you know, I, I don't have a whole lot to complain about. Like the short, short version is, is, uh, filled, I hunted five days this year and filled two tags. That's yep. the super short version. Um, you know, PA was, I had a specific spot that I wanted to kill a deer, um, you know, in this one area and it was really good. And I had an encounter with the shooter buck. This would be the third year in a row on the, same date well the same date the past two years um and this spot is just a, dyna a dynamite spot it's a kayak access spot and i wanted to bring out a buck in a kayak and and the magic date that i knew was like between the 15th and 18th in this spot and um i got the right weather and the right wind when the 18th went in dude came in made a scrape at 7 15 a.m or i guess about 7 10 like right at first first light and uh he gave me a 10 yard shot and uh the deal was sealed by 7 15 a.m on october 16th that was the third that was the third hunt of the year uh and then you know that was an awesome hunt because you know i don't i love hunting mornings in october me too um but for whatever reason i end up killing deer more more than likely like late afternoon or in the evening which isn't you know uncommon um but i always love like those morning bucks in october like they hold a special place for me you know not because i can say oh, i killed a buck you know, in early October in the morning and you're not supposed to be able to do that. Like, right. it's not you know, that it's the fact that I have the entire day to enjoy it. Yeah. Like I found the deer, got him, got it out. I sat down for a little bit, just kind of took in the surroundings, took my time getting him back to the kayak, took my time kayaking back to the truck, got him home, skinned him out, had a beer, had a cigar. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that's a whole different was, experience. If it's uh you're doing that at 8 PM at night exactly dude it's exactly. a total different experience yeah. so it's like when i shot it i you know i texted a buddy and i was like dude i'm going to milk this thing for all its work yeah. and it was the middle of the week so i was off from work that day because it was you know that's i just like to hunt the middle of the week during october um and so it was just like a full day of like hanging out and just reveling in the fact that it took me two full seasons and this being the third year of hunting that spot to like get it done the way i wanted to get it done mm -hmm. and then the other goal was i wanted to kill a Kansas whitetail on the ground uh, in open country, like in CRP, like no, you know, limited trees. And I wanted to do it on the ground. Um, and so I, this was the third year I was out there in a row. I had a bunch of opportunities. I was at, you know, I had drawn on multiple deer out there that were, you know, the smallest one I think I drew on was like 140 inch eight point, you know, and the biggest one that I got drawn on was like a mid one fifties, you know, mainframe 10, I believe. Um, and then last year, you know, I didn't realize it at the time, realized it after, but I, you know, I glassed and found a deer that was in the mid one nineties and I was at 20 yards with him for like five plus minutes of him snort wheezing at me and I couldn't get him shot. I just couldn't get an arrow off. Um, and so you talk about, you know, watching a world-class caliber deer walk away from you like that, you know, it's, it sticks with you a little bit, you know what I mean? Like it's definitely a, a blow to the ego for sure. Um, and so went back this year, um, had a game plan, you know, kind of knew what I wanted to try to get done and glassed the deer from eight tenths of a mile away on the second day or on the first day. Um, and, um, I saw that deer and I was like, he's going to die in that spot tomorrow. And I hunted in the morning, saw a good buck, um, 
you know, didn't get any play with him, rattled one or decoyed one buck into like five yards, a young deer. And then I just went and drove around in glass the rest of the day. Cause I knew where I was going to kill that deer. I was like, I'm not going into like three 30. I was like, I know where he's going to be. And so three 30 hit, I walked into that spot and, uh, he came out at five fifteen, and I put an arrow through both of his front shoulders and he piled up about 60 yards away. And at the end of the day, I had myself, my first Boone and Crockett deer from the ground. He was like 172 and an eighth, I think is what he ended up measuring. And, uh, and then the party ensued, like had some, I, I didn't have, I, I went out solo. I had some buddies who happened to be hunting the same unit. Um, you know, I didn't really know that until actually I was getting ready to leave for the trip. Um, but they drove up an hour from an hour South of me and, uh, helped me get him out That's and cool. took some pictures and, uh, we got to spend some time together. So I didn't get to have a beer that night cause we got out late. Yeah. Um, they'll be at your funeral. Yeah. They'll be at my funeral for sure, dude. <laughs> and so the next morning I got up, it's funny. So I didn't get to have a beer that night, but I got up the next morning and I went out and sat on the tailgate and just looked at him and drank a beer at like seven 30. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So that was my season, man. It was, you know, uh, five days of hunting and fishing. Uh, two tags yeah you know i was like i'll never do that again man i was like that's a 40 percent kill rate that's you know yeah. crazy um yeah. and then after that man because the last couple of years have been a grind dude you know talk just going back to what we were talking about before man you know priorities and um being present and uh so i just basically you know instead of i could have ran out and hunted some more around here and stuff like that if i wanted to because i had some doe tags to fill but I just stayed home and uh, spent time with the, my wife and my daughter. And we did some stuff on the weekends that usually we don't get to do during hunting season. Cause I'm always gone. Right. Um, you know, they put up with a lot for me to be able to chase the things I like to chase. And so not time permitted. So I was like, you know, try to give back and fill the cup a little bit, you know, so that's what I did. Dude, that is awesome. And I, I very extremely similar as far as, as that goes to, uh, I filled a bunch of tags early on. I spent a lot more time with, with the family. And like you said, man, when you're, when you're further away, when you distance yourself from something, it, it grows that, that love even more. And I'm more excited to spend those quality scouting missions and kind of like what you said, man, like if you are able to, uh, really hone in on, on that aspect of things, as far as, I don't want to say speed scout, but when you go with that purpose and you find what you need and you know a little bit more so because you do it more and you you figure things out a little bit of what you're looking for and why you're looking for that like you said even earlier as far as why you do this the the process of your habits and and discipline if you know that and you start continuing to ask that why while you're out there your scouting trips become a lot more um, beneficial to you number one but number two uh, efficient. And when that mm -hmm. happens, uh, it just, it starts to a nice, a good snowball effect. Yeah, man. I, I just think knowing who you are, like truly knowing who you are helps in anything. Yeah. Right. And what, for me, what that means in hunting, like Chad and I talked about it you know, when he was out in Idaho elk hunting, you know, people constantly told him like, you'll never kill a elk in transition. Right. And he was trying to hunt like a Western hunter the first like couple years he went out and then, you know, he was like, you know what? I'm going to start hunting how I know how to hunt and see what happens. And that's when he started finding success, right? Cause he's efficient at the way he knows how to hunt, you know? And so it's the same thing. Like whenever I go out to scout, it's like, I know, you know, I, I've tried, I've been fortunate to travel a fair amount to a bunch of different States and hunt a bunch of different types of country and stuff like that. And with that has come a lot of like, you know, experience that I can now kind of lean on and I'm versed in a lot of different approaches, I guess you could say. Right. So, but I have like a, a, a way that I like to do it whenever I'm in certain areas. Like, so if I'm in like the Midwest or the East, like I have like an approach that I like to take, right? Like there's certain things I'm going to look for to, things in as many places as I can. Right. And that's, and that's what I use. I don't spend a lot of time, you know, um, tearing places apart to where I'm like, man, I pro I'm not going to be great at hunting this spot. You know what I mean? Like I know what I am, you know, and, and I try to put myself in those positions and I look for those places whenever I'm scouting. So it allows me to be very focused and very efficient. It doesn't mean that there aren't other good places. It just means that I'm prioritizing the ones that I know that I can, I can kill in, not just the sign is there, but like I am the type of hunting that I do well will produce in that spot. Right. Um, and so I think it's, you know, just, it's just knowing yourself and knowing what you need to be successful. Like I learned that this year, man, like for me, if I see a deer, I can kill him. Like to me, I used to not rely on visual very much now, like after the past couple of years of like, 
man, I, I feel like if I can see a deer one time, I will kill him. Like I just need to see him do his deer thing one time. And as long as I have the time, like to be in the woods often enough, then I can kill him. Cause I yeah. like, I just need to see you do it once. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So what are you looking forward to for next year? Anything bigger trips that you're hoping to maybe pull the tag for next year? Anything along those lines? Yeah. So I'm headed to, uh, I'll be in Idaho, uh, the middle of September for an elk hunt. Nice. That'll be kind of a backcountry uh, deal. Um, Going it's pretty rad set up. I'll have to tell you a little bit about it off air because yeah. it's the, the approach. If I mention the approach here, it's like, it might give like, it might yeah. give the spot away a little <laughs> bit. Um, and then uh, Chad and I are going to be heading back to Missouri this year because I hit one cool. there three or four years ago and lost it. And we had, we had like one of the best hunts ever. We were there for only 24 hours and I saw like 150 inch deer and, and he ran by me at like five yards. And then I stalked, I got back on him and stalked him to like 40 and he, and he blew out. And then Chad saw like 160 inch deer. Chad doesn't want me to probably tell this part of the story, but he missed 130 inch deer like twice, I think. That like in that 24 hour period of time. And then I hit one and lost it on like the very next, like the, the next morning or whatever. And that, then we had to leave. We were headed to Ohio to, to start our hunt in Ohio. Okay. Um, so we're both headed back there to try to get redemption. Like that's kind of been my thing. Like went back to Kansas a couple of times because I was going to redeem myself. And so Missouri is the last redemption spot. And so once I get redemption there, then I can move on with my life and move on to some different States. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Clint, man, that's awesome. Well, dude, I appreciate you so much sharing your wisdom and your journey. Where can people, obviously, like I said, how could we, how could we listen, tune in, watch all that good stuff, brother? Yeah. Yeah, man. Thanks. I appreciate you having me on, man. Um, yeah, just truth from the stand, uh, website.com. Um, anywhere you listen to podcasts, you know, you'll find the truth from the stand podcast there. And then you can follow me on Instagram. It's probably where I'm most um, most active, just truthfromthestand.com there. If you have questions or whatever and you DM me, I'm usually pretty good about trying to get back to people, uh, time permitting. But, yeah, that's, uh, that's where I'm at, man. Awesome, dude. I appreciate it. Thanks, Clint. Thanks, everybody, for listening, tuning in, all the support. Go follow Clint. Make sure, uh, man, this is – and practice what, what Clint was saying and, and enhance your life. Thanks, everybody. Antler up. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Antler Up Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please go check us out on our Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, and Go Wild, and at antlerupoutdoors.com. If you enjoyed this episode, go leave a review and subscribe for next week's episode. Until then, Antler Up.